This is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update Podcast. This is part of an ongoing series featuring critical insights from the physicians and healthcare professionals on the front lines of the pandemic. Hello, this is the American Medical Association's COVID-19 Update video and podcast. Today, we're talking with Dr. Tom Frieden, former director of the CDC and president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives in New York about how we can use lessons from the past two years to strengthen our public health system and pandemic response. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Welcome back, Dr. Frieden. It's been a while since we've talked to you. Um, Our our conversations uh, over the past two years have really punctuated constant moments of change uh, during the pandemic. And I was struck by one of your uh, quotes that said, the important lesson of COVID is that the only constant thing is change. How does knowing that now uh, better inform our response? Todd, we often talk about lessons learned, but I think we should instead be talking about lessons that need to be learned. And for me, the pandemic has the three R's. We need a renaissance in our public health programs. We need a robust primary health care system that's at the center of our health care system. And we need resilient populations, more able to withstand health shocks and health threats. And each of these three three things is going to require focused, sustained attention and funding. And if we just do what we've always done, we're going to get the results we've always gotten. And that's an underprepared public health system, a weak and fragmented primary care system, and a populace that is far too susceptible to infectious disease threats. So we have a lot of things to get done, but we have perhaps the most teachable moment that we will have in our lifetimes. So this is a now or never moment to make healthcare and public health and people's health stronger. You know, the the three R's that you lay out, it sounds like a big ask because especially right now, it seems like the half-life of memory uh, around uh, the pandemic is uh, very, very short. In fact, I read uh, an article in The Atlantic recently where the author said the next wave may be less of a VA2 wave and more of a so what wave, um, mainly because people just seem to be very tired of two years of crisis. Do you, you know, given that mentality, you know, how does that affect your, you know, the ability to execute those three R's? We have for many years had cycles of panic and neglect, and I'm afraid we're heading full steam ahead into the neglect part of this cycle. But I am optimistic that given the enormous suffering and economic and educational dislocation from the pandemic, we will learn the lesson better this time. And we will have a greater opportunity to make a real difference, to make the kind of investments that are needed. I think often public health is kind of ignored by business and industry, but no one could ignore the more than $10 trillion price tag from this pandemic. And the fact is that most of the deaths in the US and globally did not have to happen. And much of the disruption in the US and globally did not have to happen. Now, there are very specific things that need to be done for COVID, such as increasing our vaccination rate, particularly among seniors and people who are medically vulnerable. There are about 15 million people over the age of 65 in this country 
who are not up to date with the vac their vaccination. And most of them have been vaccinated. This isn't an anti-vaccination issue. This is a failure of health systems to ensure that people are up to date. And that gets to the issue of primary health care. That's a bigger lift. But we do have to look frankly at the fact that no one's accountable, no one's responsible. We're not paying for primary health care. We pay lip service to it. But every person in the US should have someone who they can trust as their primary care practitioner. And every practitioner should benefit from doing a good job taking care of their panel of patients. We're currently in kind of a chaotic system in terms of our accountability or lack thereof. And in terms of resilience, Todd, I just uh, outlined in an essay what we can do about a pandemic that's deadlier than COVID. Cardiovascular disease kills twice as many people as COVID did at its most deadly, at a younger age, and it's more preventable. And there are three core things that we could do that could prevent most heart attacks and strokes. First, we can end the epidemic of tobacco use. And that can be done not just by hard hitting campaigns and helping people quit and making smoke free places, but very importantly, by changing the amount of nicotine allowable in cigarettes. The Food and Drug Administration has had the authority to do that for more than a dozen years, but hasn't done it yet. If we reduce nicotine and cigarettes down to a non-addictive level, we can end the tobacco epidemic. Second is to control hypertension, to prevent and control it. And that's possible also by reducing sodium intake and focusing on hypertension control. You know, Todd, less than half of Americans with high blood pressure have it under control. We spend over $3 trillion a year on healthcare in this country. Medicines for hypertension don't have to cost more than a few dollars a month at most, maybe even a few dollars a year for the best quality medicines there are. And yet we get the single most important thing in healthcare, hypertension control. If you're gonna count it by live saved, we get that right less than half the time. And third, we need to do a much better job reducing what's called PM 2.5, particulate matter 2.5, kills about 60,000 people a year in the US, but as many as six or 7 million globally, much more can be done in that area. So this is our chance to recognize that we are all connected. We can make a big difference, but it's going to take focused effort and the expenditure of both financial and political capital. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. It's interesting because I think most people associate public health, of course, during the last two years with this pandemic response, but it's really what you're pointing out is we were already in a state where chronic disease, uh, like heart disease, uh, was you know a, a major problem and this huge opportunity that you're pointing out. I mean, are we looking at then a kind of a battle on two fronts? Because obviously we have a lot of work to do to prepare for future pandemics, but also, as you're pointing out, this other pandemic with heart disease. Well, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, we spend trillions of dollars on healthcare. We're not getting the kind of value that we should. There are stunning reports from the Commonwealth uh, Fund that look at OECD or mostly rich countries uh, and how 
we do in terms of how much we spend per person on healthcare and what kind of outcomes we get. And the US is a stunning outlier. We spend way more than any other country on healthcare and we get way less than any other country on healthcare. In fact, I would submit that it would be pretty hard to spend as much as we spend and do worse than we spend than we do. And to do better on health, to make up for our laggard status in terms of healthcare, we need to do those three basic R's, uh, resilient populations, robust primary healthcare, and a renaissance in public health. And that means that our public health system needs to have the data it needs, the communication skills it needs, the connections with uh, the healthcare system, uh, and there are areas of excellence. There are real success stories, and it's important not to lose those, both because we should give credit where credit is due and because they show that progress is possible. One of them is in the collaboration among nursing homes, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the CDC. These three players work together to get lots of seniors vaccinated quickly at a high level to make it safer in nursing homes. And if you look at the estimates, more than 2 million lives have been saved, many of them through this nursing home, home pro problem, a program in the US. So we're talking about, yes, the tragedy of a million lives lost in the US, and most of those didn't have to be lost. But we're uh, also looking at the, the tragedy that didn't happen another 2 million lives, 3 million total, a, a death toll that could have been three times as bad as it was, that was avoided through concerted collaborative action and the stunningly effective vaccines we have and appropriate use of masks, which are our second most powerful tool and increasingly uh, the importance of rapid testing and treatment for uh, COVID. You know, it's interesting because you're really talking about a, a much broader sense of a recovery plan uh, than just the part of the pandemic. You know, from a practical standpoint, you also pointed out this, this I guess, the sense of coordination and leadership to make the connections like you're pointing out. Where, where does that come from? I think it needs to come from all sectors. You, you need to see the government, private sector uh, work together to coordinate. And frankly, I think we need more advocacy. We've looked at my organization, Resolve to Save Lives. We've looked at um, primary healthcare systems around the world. And most, as in the US, are pretty weak. They're not at the center of the healthcare system. They're not robust. They don't have a sense of accountability for their patients. But there are a handful of countries that have very strong primary healthcare systems. And the common denominator of those countries is that the primary healthcare system is valued. It has political salience. Um, in those countries, ranging from the United Kingdom to Thailand to Costa Rica, uh, political parties, whether of the right or the left, don't compete on how much they can cut healthcare. They compete on how much they will strengthen primary healthcare. And if there's a shortage of medicines or staffing or funding in primary healthcare, that becomes a major political issue. I think that healthcare workers can play a very major role here in advocating for stronger primary healthcare. Now, Todd, I have nothing against specialist care. It's enormously important, and all of us will need specialist care at some point. Specialists 
can do a more efficient job if the primary healthcare physicians identify the conditions that specialists need to treat more promptly at an earlier stage of disease and manage the conditions so that the specialists can do specialist care and the primary care system can do the primary health care. Any uh, pointers for our audience, uh, physicians out there as to how they can advocate more effectively for you know, this increased focus uh, on, on our ability to respond to both the pandemic and this epidemic of chronic disease? I think in, in all three of the R's that we covered, individual clinicians can have a major role. Uh, first and foremost, with your own patients. Every clinician can do a, a, a very important, uh, have a very important influence on their patients by encouraging patients to quit if they smoke at every visit, by measuring and controlling blood pressure at every visit, by advocating for vaccination. We've come close to stalling in our progress getting Americans vaccinated. Clinicians are the most trusted source of information. And after all of the culture wars and political debates, when a doctor says to her or his patient, I've been vaccinated, I really want you to get vaccinated because I'm concerned that you might die if you're not up to date with your vaccine. That has a powerful impact. At the same time, clinicians can advocate for primary health care to be stronger and can advocate for stronger public health systems at the local level, the state level, the national level, and the global level. Well, final question for you, and it's on the subject of trust, which you just brought up. I mean, you recently joined uh, uh, a number of other former CDC directors to talk about uh, the way forward uh, for the, D, uh, the CDC uh, and rebuilding trust in our institutions. That seems to be something that uh, we've lost a uh, little ground on. What's, what are your thoughts there? I don't think this is going to be quick. I don't think it's going to be easy. Trust cannot be surged during a pandemic. Trust needs to be earned over months and years. Trust is lost by the bucketful, but gained by the spoonful. And we've lost bucketfuls of trust in this country. We need to gain that by communicating clearly, being frank about what we know, what we don't know, how we know what we do, do know, and what we're doing to find out what we don't know. We need to build linkages, engagement with all the communities that may be alienated, urban, rural, whatever race or ethnicity, whatever political party, we need to find the right messages and the right messengers. Because fundamentally, Todd, we really are all connected. And you can only control your own health if your society is making the healthier choices the default choice, whether that's healthier food, not smoking, controlling blood pressure, getting vaccinated, reducing the risk of traffic crashes, there's a lot that we can do as a society that individuals cannot do as efficiently or as well as individuals. Dr. Breeden, thank you so much. It's just, it's great to see you again and really, really appreciate your perspective. Uh, that's it for today's COVID-19 update. We'll be back with another segment soon. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. Thank you. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thank you for listening.